Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. She's pleading for the mercy of man. Truth is saying, I won't hear it until the demands of truth, which that man has sinned and he deserves to die. He deserves to be cast into hell. Until that's been satisfied, I won't hear it. So truth looks at mercy and turns his back and says to mercy, no mercy until truth is satisfied. And then we have two other persons who are standing there at Calvary. And the one person there is Mr. Righteousness. And Mr. Righteousness is saying, man is not righteous. Man is not right. He doesn't think right. He doesn't say right things. He doesn't do right things. He's just not right. And payment must be made for his unrighteousness. Judgment must fall for man's unrighteousness. And so he says, he turns to Mrs. Mercy, and he says, I won't hear of your mercy until the truth is satisfied, and the truth is, is that man has sinned. And so we have this tremendous conflict going on. And like I said, there's Mrs. Peace. And she's also stretching out her arms to Mr. Righteousness. And Mrs. Peace is saying, but man needs peace. Please allow to have peace with God. And Mr. Righteousness turns back to Mrs. Peace and says, I won't hear of it. I won't hear of your peace. No peace until the demands of righteousness are met. So there's no reconciliation between these two people, between Mrs. Peace and Mr. Righteousness. So on the one side, we have you know, Mrs. Mercy and Mrs. Peace, and they're pleading over the other side to Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness, and they're standing there, and there's no reconciliation until the judgment demands of truth and the payment demands of righteousness have been met. And then all of a sudden, it happens that between them, between them, Roman soldiers come. And they drive nails into the hands and into the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they do, blood spurts out, out of the hands, out of his feet. It's the blood of his cross, as referred to in Colossians. And those Roman soldiers now have now lifted up that cross in the air, and then they drop it in the hole with such a mighty jolt that all his bones become out of joint. And now, from the cross, his blood continues to flow. It's the blood of his cross. And the blood of his cross is now making peace. It's reconciling from Colossians 1.20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And suddenly, the person named Truth turns and, and he sees the blood and he sees that demands have been met, demands for peace. And suddenly, the person named Righteousness, he sees that the demands of judgment are being made for man. And seeing the blood, the person named truth turns to the person named mercy, and they're reconciled. They meet. They meet. They have a friendly meeting. And then seeing the blood, the person named righteousness turns to the person named peace, and they kiss each other. That's a kiss that was felt all over the universe. And that reconciliation between mercy and truth and peace and righteousness all happen because of the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross, the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the first time ever, now there is a great reason 
to do what he asked for from the cross. What did he ask for from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they were forgiven when he said, Father, forgive them. And if the Father said to the Lord Jesus, why? Why should I forgive them? Give them a reason. The Lord Jesus would reply, it's my sinless body that's being broken for them. It's my sinless blood that's being shed for them right now. Because it's my sinless soul that's being poured out unto death for them right now. And therefore, he could say, Father, forgive them. And the Father forgave because he saw the blood. He saw the blood. You might like to turn, because this is really all about a passage in Exodus. And so if you like to turn to Exodus 12, 13, or maybe you know it already, but anyway, Exodus 12, 13. It says, and the blood shall be to you. For a token upon the houses where you are. And so that was the first part, see? The, the people in the houses, they looked at the blood. And God said, that's a sign for you. But then, he says, now for me, this is not in the scripture, but I'm just telling you this. But then he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So not until he saw the blood did he pass over? But when he saw the blood, he passed over. And that was the blood of reconciliation that made peace. Peace with God. See, the cross was all about Exodus 12, 13. The cross was all about when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. We can just picture the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross speaking right from Exodus 12, 13 with his blood flowing from him. And he's saying to God, here, Father, do you see the blood? Do you see the blood? Here's the blood you've been waiting for. It's the blood that's flowing from me. It's my blood, Father. It's my blood flowing for sinners to spare them from judgment. It's in plain sight now, Father. Do you see the blood? Father, you said, when I see the blood, I will pass over sinners. Here's the blood, Father. Here it is. And the Father would say, yes, my son. Yes, I see the blood. I see your blood. I see your blood flowing for lost sinners so that they can be spared from hell. They can be spared from judgment. Yes, seeing the blood, I can now spare them from judgment. I can now pass over them, and I do now pass over every lost sinner that puts himself under the protection of your blood. I see the protecting, God would say, Father would say, I see the protecting umbrella of your blood, and I spare every hell-deserving sinner, which is all of us, who runs under the umbrella of your blood. And then from the cross, with his blood flowing, he then says, Father, forgive them. And he was really saying, Father, pass over them. Father, from Exodus 12, you see the blood, pass over them. And if God passes over sinners who flee for shelter under the blood, he's sparing them from being cast into hell. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has made peace through the blood of his cross, and man and God are reconciled. They come together. Man has peace with God. So what we see on the cross is God made flesh to die for man. What we see on the cross is the work of God as the great peacemaker. And so what we see here, that's why peacemakers see they're called the children of God. And so Abraham, when he says, let there be no strife, Abraham's the great peacemaker. 
Now, he says in verse 8, if anyone says verse 8, he is really stretching now, Abraham, and he wants this reconciliation with all of his heart with Lot. So he says, I pray thee, I pray thee, I beg thee, I beseech thee. And the words, you know, they're words of affection. We have to look at Abraham. This is a words of affection. He's reaching, he's stretching Abraham as he wants to make peace with a lot in, in a very affectionate way. And it shows how Abraham, he kept his cool. There's something about land disputes in Israel that always brings up hot tempers, you know. But anyway, and he says, I pray thee. And so we can see him, Abraham reaching deep down inside him to make peace. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. See, in the Greek, the you is emphatic. So the emphasis on this verse is on the word you. So as much as lieth in you, is the way you might say it, live peaceably with all men. It's all about what's lying in you, not in the other person, but in you. You know, the verse does not say, as much as lieth in others, live peaceably with all men. You know, well, I forgive him when, he's, when, he, when he comes around and says he's sorry. Not until then. Eh? No, nope. waiting for him to say he's sorry is looking for something that's lying in him. And it's looking for repentance to lie in him. But the verse says, as much as lieth in you, where the emphasis is on you, has nothing to do with the other person. So Abraham knew that if there was going to be peace between him and Lot, then it was going to have to be all about what was lying inside Abraham. So Abraham digs deep, and he finds some affection down there for Lot, and he uses these words, I pray thee, I pray thee. And we can just imagine how Abraham and Lot, and they met, and you know, in this meeting, it was a powder keg. It was a powder keg waiting for a spark to explode and be much worse. But Abraham, he saw that, he saw wrath, and he says, I've got to turn away this wrath. How am I going to turn away this wrath? And he's got it, Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. See, grievous words, they're either the match or the gasoline, either one. So we see in Abraham a man who is willing to condescend when he begged his inferior lot with the words, I beg thee, I pray thee. And it's very interesting to see Abraham condescend here to Lot. And Abraham's condescension brings out that he's really focused on verse 7. See, look at verse 7. It says in verse 7 that the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt in the land. So now notice right after it says that statement, the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt in the land there, that it says right after that, Abraham says he's trying to make peace. Let there be no strife. It's as if Abraham has his eye on the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the end of verse 7, when he says to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee. It's as if Abraham is saying to Lot, Lot, let the Canaanites and the Perizzites fight it out. Let the Canaanites and the Perizzites argue, but not us. And Abraham was obeying exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do in Mark 10, 45 When Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, Canaanites and the Perizzites are Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever shall be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Abraham was saying to Lot, It's the Canaanites 
and the parasites, those Gentiles, whose rulers exercised lordship over their subordinates. But right from the words of Mark 10, 43, Abraham was saying, but so shall it not be among us. And we see Abraham really being great here as he gave place and ministered to Lot. I did minister to Lot. He's appealing to him. He's trying to find a cord with him, and we're going to see that. And so Abraham being the chiefest, now he now becomes the servant to Lot. And we see that later. Lot, you choose. Whatever land you like, I'll take the other one. And so in what Abraham, and this was not easy for Abraham, and what Abraham did in this chapter, we see Abraham being just like the Lord Jesus Christ who said, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, verse 8. So with an eye on the Canaanite and the Perizzite, Abraham was in essence saying to Lot, Lot, let the Canaanite and the Perizzite spend their lives arguing and fighting. Remember I told you last week about my cousin and my uncle who for 20 years have been not speaking to each other because of Wedgwood, China. Anyway, nothing wrong with Wedgwood, China, but anyway. And so he's saying, let the Canaanite, let the Perizzite waste their time on earth in these bitter feuds. Let the Canaanite and the Perizzites spend their limited amount of energy on getting even. Let the Canaanite, let the Perizzite exhaust themselves in planning out their next revenge. But not us. Not us, Lot. We are not Canaanites and we are not Perizzites. We are not Gentiles. We are believers. And so, and they say, and Lot, as believers... We are strangers. We are pilgrims on this earth. So by saying that, Abraham was saying to Lot the words of Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. So in essence, Abraham was saying to Lot, Lot, we want to die in faith. This is a teacher now to Lot. We want to die in faith, not having received the promises, but we want to see them afar off. And Lot, this strife is going to blind our vision to these promises. Lot, we want to be persuaded by these promises. We want to embrace these promises so that we can freely confess we're strangers, we're pilgrims on the earth, not like the Canaanites and Perizzites. Lot, this strife is going to cause us to abandon those promises and lose our confession. See, So by affectionately saying to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, Abraham is saying the words of 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I pray thee, dearly beloved, I beseech thee, as strangers and pilgrims abstain, hold back, refrain abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul so abraham is saying to lot dearly beloved lot i beseech you as a stranger and pilgrim we must abstain from this fleshly lust to want to get even and to want to set the record straight lot my strife with you is not a strife against you it's a war against my own soul let there be no strife. Lot, your strife with me is not a strife against me. It's a war against your own soul. Let there be no strife. 
So by seeing the Canaanite and the Perizzite at the end of verse 7, and then by Abraham saying to Lot at the start of verse 8, let there be no strife, Abraham was saying to Lot the words of Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So Abraham is saying to Lot, Lot, look at the Canaanite, look at the Perizzite. They don't desire a better country, a heavenly. Wherefore God would be ashamed to be called their God. And God has not prepared for them a city. And they strive with each other, Lot. Lot, unlike them, we do desire a better country, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God, and he has prepared for us a city. Therefore, let there be no strife. By seeing the Canaanite and the Perizzite at the end of verse 7, and then Abraham saying to Lot at the start of verse 8, let there be no strife, Abraham was in essence saying to Lot the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 8, 29. He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So he would say, Abraham would say, Lot, look at those Canaanites and those Perizzites. They don't have any desire at all to please God. Lot, we're different from the Canaanite and the Perizzite. Our lives are focused on always doing those things that please God. Lot, it displeases God when we fight, so let there be no strife. And Abraham was in essence saying to Lot the words of Paul from 2 Timothy 2.4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So Abraham is saying to Lot, Lot, look at those Canaanites and Perizzites. They do not see themselves as soldiers of God. But not us, Lot. We are soldiers of God. And we want to please him who chose us to be soldiers. Lot, we desert our posts as soldiers of God when we entangle ourselves with this fight. So therefore, Lot, we don't want to entangle ourselves with this strife. So Lot, let there be no strife. And Abraham was, in essence, saying the words of Hebrews eleven sixteen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that is a reward, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Abraham is saying to Lot, Lot, look again at those Canaanites and those Perizzites. They, they, they don't want to please God. That's not in their interest. That's not on their radar screen. They have no use for faith to believe that God is. They're not interested in any reward that God may give for diligently seeking him. But not us, Lot. We want to please God. We want to come to God so we believe that he is. We want God to reward us so we diligently seek him. We, Lot, we become practical atheists when we fight. So let there be no strife. Verse 8. Now, in the Hebrew... There is a very important statement after the word for and before the words, we be brethren. So our English says, for we be brethren. And, uh, but there's an important statement before that. I could find no translation that did not omit this. The King James omits it. The New King James, the NSAB, Luther omits it. Calvin omits it. Segon, the American Standard, everybody, you name it. Every single Jewish publication sort of thing, they all omit it. Every translation I looked at, in English, in German, in Spanish, in Italian, in French, all of them omitted this very important statement. You want to know why they omitted it? I'll tell you. I don't know. (laughs) 
but it's an important statement <laughs> because it's, it reads this Ki Anashim, Achim Anachnu. Ki is for or that, and then what they admitted was the word, the statement Anashim, and they said Achim Anachnu, which is we be brethren. So they, they put in there, we be brethren. But there's more of something very important that Abraham said because he said Ki Anashim, for we be men. Ish is men, Yashim. For we be Anashim, we be men. So what Abraham was saying here is that we be men. Before he gets to the we be brethren, we be men. And when he was saying that to, to Lot again, you know, Abraham's reaching deep down in inside him and he says, Look, Lot, we be men, not brute beasts. We be men, not savages. We be men. We are rational creatures. We be men. We can have a gentleman agreement, a gentleman's agreement. We be men. Let's work this out and not fight it out. Let's work it out and not fight it out. We are civil. Now, again, you know, Abraham is reaching way, way deep down here within him to appeal to Lot's sense of civility. I mean, Lot, you've got to really appreciate Abraham here. I mean, Abraham, and he comes along and he says, Lot, principle of it all, let there be no strife. And then he says, let there be no strife. Then he says, I pray thee for principle's sake, let's not fight. I pray thee for affection's sake, let's not fight. We be men for civility's sake, rationality's sake, let's not fight. And then he says, we be brethren for family's sake, let's not fight. What does it take for you, Lot? That we can resonate together on this theme of let's not fight. We be brethren. So now, he comes to the last argument in verse 8. And he does say, he says, we be brethren. So again, he says, so we can imagine Abraham now, with tears in his face, looking into the eye of Lot, all these arguments for why. And he says, we be brethren. We be brethren. By saying that Abraham was not just saying, we're not just physically related. There are many physical relations relatives to Abraham that were very far from God. I and mean, Lot had followed Abraham in coming to Jehovah Jesus. And that made Lot Abraham's double brother to him. The lesser importance was the fact that Lot was Abraham's physical relative. Of far greater importance was the fact that Lot was Abraham's spiritual relative. Because both Abraham and Lot had received Jehovah Jesus. And having done that, both of them were given power to become the sons of God. They both had become born again, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that made them really brethren, double brethren. I remember when I was in Ethiopia, and I met this, and the evangelistic team was coming through, and we had lunch together. And one of the ladies in the team came up to me and said she was from the north in the city of Gondar, and she said she was a believing Jew, Jewish, Jewess, you know, Jew. And I just looked at her. I just, <laughs> I mean, that jet black skin. I just looked at it, and she saw me looking at her, and she looks at me as if to say, well, what of it? <laughs> I didn't know what to say, so I just said, I didn't know I had a black sister. <laughs> anyway, but she was. She was a double sister. Why? First, she was Jewish through Moses. You remember, Moses married the Ethiopian, and so she was a descendant. But more importantly, she was a spiritual sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lot says, the double emphasis, we be brethren, physically and spiritually. And the Lord Jesus Christ explained who the spiritual brethren were when he said in Luke 8.21, he answered and said unto them, My mother 
And my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. And that's the way we should see followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is our brothers. Someone comes up to us and says, hi, brother. That's not necessary. Many times that's code for I can't remember your name. <laughs> but, but by saying we be brethren, Abraham was saying to Lot, consider Lot as brethren in the Lord, how much we share together. We have the same enemies, we have the same goals, we have the same God, we have the same passions. It's all encompassed in the word, we be brethren. So let's work this out, if for no other reason, because we are brethren. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this example that Abraham has been to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just study about it, but that we would be like him, We would follow him in his great desire to have no strife. Lord, we pray, teach us these things and help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247 3051 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.